Hello and welcome to these excerpts from Project Echo Westwick PHN COVID-19 Pandemic Response Series brought to you by the West Victorian PHN in collaboration with the Department of General Practice at the University of Melbourne and Bowen Health. I'm Bianca Forrester and I'm the GP facilitator for this series. This session was recorded on Thursday the 16th of April at 7.30am and is part two of our aged care series, including other vulnerable groups. All right, I'd like to move on now and introduce, um, again, Associate Professor Deb Freeman, ID physician, um, uh, academic and researcher, um, to now give us the infectious diseases update. Thanks, Deb. Good morning, everyone. Um, I wanted to start with a general update of where things stand now in about the middle of April 2020. So Australia-wide, there's nearly 6,500 cases of um, COVID-19 infection and there's been about 370,000 tests done. The prevalence in the entire Australian population is 0.02%. And of all of those tested, the rate of positivity is 1.7%. Now, the reason I'm giving you all these percentages is to make a comparison. So in New York City currently, of all the people that they're testing, the positivity rate is between 50 and 70%. What does that mean? It means they're not testing nearly enough people if 50 to 70% of those tests are positive. So we are definitely testing enough people. If we translate what's happening in Australia to Victoria, there's 1,300 cases in Victoria, more than 72,000 tests. Prevalence is exactly the same as Australia-wide with 0.02%. And the positive rate from all of the tests is 1.8%. Um, The important thing about that group, and I alluded to this last week, is the increasing number of cases that are unlinked. What that means is there's been community transmission, but we don't know from where. That number is 140 in Victoria, and they represent 11% of total cases. And this is where the concern is, although overall we're doing very well from a numbers point of view. Within Geelong... So Greater Geelong, we've got 62 cases of COVID-19. The number of tests we've done is nearly 3,000. The prevalence is exactly the same as in all of Victoria and in Australia, so 0.02%. And the rate of positivity among the tests that we're doing is 2%. If we look at the region, so Southwest and Victoria, there's a smattering of other cases that have not increased in the last week. Um, A few from Horsham, five from Warrnambool, 10 from Ballarat, 10 from the Surf Coast, one from Corangamite and one from Golden Plains. The doubling time, which I'd alluded to before, which is the amount of time that it takes for the number of cases to double, is actually in excess of 18 days now, which is definitely a positive um, statistic for Australia. Um, There's certainly less activity in hospitals overall, and both Glenn and Kate alluded to the sort of lower level of activity in the hospital setting right now. The testing criteria, which Glenn also alluded to, is only clinical criteria now, so you don't need to fulfil any epidemiological criteria. I mentioned last week the mobile pathology testing for residential aged care. 
which is a service being offered locally. And I guess I mention it because perhaps other regions might consider whether or not they have the capacity to offer a similar service. It's nurse-led and a nurse who's trained to do swabs can go into aged care facilities and swab for both coronavirus but also do a swab for other viruses. Um, the tests for coronavirus that we're doing locally are prioritised, so they're put into our laboratory and prioritised for same-day results. Um, the requests come from GPs um, to... Um, to that um, mobile testing unit, and it's available 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. seven days a week, but it's by appointment and by referral. Um, I wanted to comment a little bit on the timing of testing for coronavirus. Um, the viral load when people are infected tends to peak within the first week in cases that are severe. Um, but there's a very heterogeneous spectrum of disease. There was a study that was looking at the amount of RNA that's shed in patients with coronavirus infection. And they know that severe cases shed more virus and that it takes a longer period of time for their illness to resolve. So in the severe cases, the viral load peaks later, perhaps at about the 12 day mark. Whereas milder cases, their peak might be at about the seven day mark. I guess, what does this all mean? The timing of doing a test should be when the patient is definitely symptomatic. You shouldn't be afraid to repeat the test if the patient has ongoing symptoms and you've been unable to, um, to um, find that they had coronavirus infection. Um, I wanted to touch on best approaches because this has already been mentioned um, by Kate before me. Um, I guess offering a very simple access to testing with short turnaround time, especially in the aged care population, is a priority. Isolating residents and using PPE while you're awaiting the results of those swabs. Considering transferring patients to hospital if their acute care requires it and if it's in line with both their goals of care and their advanced care plan. Um, as a general rule, what we would do is always treat for influenza A with oseltamivir um, if it's within 48 to 72 hours of the onset of illness. And therefore, swabbing for influenza and other viral pathogens is actually still important in the aged care setting. And the, the sort of circumstances in which I think swabbing for other viral pathogens is important is, first of all, in anyone who's going to be admitted to hospital anyway, because it's going to dictate where we put them in the hospital. Also in aged care, because of the issue of spread. And thirdly, because of healthcare worker implications, knowing whether or not a patient has influenza is going to influence the PPE that you use. There aren't any adverse effects from treating with oseltamivir um, in a patient who doesn't have influenza. And if they end up having coronavirus, oseltamivir is not known to be harmful. We cease the oseltamivir if we find that they're flu negative. I guess having mentioned those best practice approaches, we need to consider what some of the barriers are to face-to-face -face consultation. Kate already alluded to them before. Um, and obviously, what we've seen from outbreaks both overseas but recently you've probably all heard of an aged care outbreak in New South Wales. Um, the inc 
incredible speed of spread of outbreaks in aged care and the incredibly vulnerable population are things that we cannot forget. And so the use of PPE, even for people who don't have any patient that you're seeing in aged care, my my view is that the healthcare worker should be wearing a surgical mask, performing hand hygiene and using disposable gloves for every encounter. If a patient has respiratory illness, then you should be using full PPE. Um, I mentioned last week the InReach Medical Assessment Service, which we're trying to develop locally, and that might be something that could be relevant to other regions. This still requires more discussion, and there's going to be a residential aged care forum next week where they're going to discuss the specifics of this medical assessment in relation to preventing transfer of patients to the emergency departments, how you might manage a case cluster within aged care. And this type of testing and medical assessment could extend to other vulnerable groups in the community, depending on the results of this forum next week and if funding's available, that's something that could be considered. Um, I guess, and then just piggybacking on the end of what Glenn alluded to previously, Ahead of looking for cases of coronavirus, which we're all doing currently, it's really important right now to consider the care of patients with non-coronavirus-related um, illness, and especially in the elderly, ensuring that what the result of the pandemic is, is not unmet needs in terms of their overall health care. Um, GPs have adapted remarkably well and now I guess is the time to consider what their role is in the setting of a pandemic in which the numbers are slow to increase and we know that GPs are often going to be the first point of phone triage for patients and um, have an important role in arranging for testing and then adapting to determining whether face-to-face -face consultation or telehealth consultation is most appropriate. Um, that's all I have to say today, and I'm going to mute myself and turn my video off, and I'm um, happy to take questions later. Thank you. And that concluded our didactic panel this morning. Unfortunately, we had some audio and technical issues, so I can't bring you Lisa Mitchell, our geriatrician's didactic presentation. However, I'll now bring you some audio responses uh, from our Q&A with Deb Freeman doing a rapid fire, five minute um, response to questions arising during the Q&A. So just very quickly, healthcare worker testing is an absolute priority, especially anybody working in aged care. And it doesn't matter if you're a nursing assistant or whatever the role is, it's really important to prioritise that testing. But always keep in mind the basic premise that testing people who are asymptomatic is of no value whatsoever. So they have to have symptoms. But keep in mind, in young, otherwise well people, the symptoms could be very mild. And we know from the outbreak in New South Wales, the importance of testing them. It then brings me on to PPE. I just want to clarify what I was saying before, and I think Rachel Carroll was helping to answer the questions on chat. If you go in, this is the Deb Friedman view, which is sort of supported by the CDC and WHO. If you go into an aged care facility where there are vulnerable residents, I think you should be wearing a surgical mask and disposable gloves for every encounter. There's a few reasons for that. The most important is you're protecting them from anything you might be incubating, however mild, or there might be nothing. But it's also very important for 
um, ensuring that you're not spreading anything between residents in the aged care facility. So that's just for any consultation. If you're doing a consultation with someone who's got an acute respiratory illness, then I recommend that you use both droplet precautions and contact. What does that mean? It means a surgical mask, it means a gown, it means eye protection, it means gloves. Okay, so there's a difference between any clinical assessment and what you do when you're doing a respiratory assessment. Um, the N95 mask, so the sort of P2 or N95 mask, is only really recommended when you're doing aerosol generating procedures, and that includes things like intubation, which is going to be largely outside the realm of what's going to be done by GPs. Um, the um, when people do testing, so in our testing clinics, and Tim can answer this as well, they're using the droplet and contact that I mentioned before. So it's surgical mask, eye protection, often a face shield, a gown with long sleeves and gloves. Um, will our testing get overwhelmed? John Henderson asked that. Um, I very, very much doubt that that will happen. We are very well set up for testing large numbers, much larger numbers than what we have been testing. So I think that's very unlikely to happen. And I think both from the laboratory point of view, how many samples they can test and how many people we can physically test, I don't think we're going to get overwhelmed. We have the capacity right now. And in fact, we're not utilising all the capacity that we have. Vaccination in this setting of even though there's a pandemic that's on vaccination is very important especially for the vulnerable and that the two most important things are influenza and um, pneumococcal vaccination um, there was a question about do we now have adequate not only swabs but reagent to do other viral testing i just want to be clear the priority that i was mentioning was respiratory viruses in people in aged care where that is very important. I think for people in the community not being admitted to hospital, doing viral PCRs are of low priority. Um, if any of the viral testing, so whether it be for sexually transmitted infection or something else, is going to affect care, then I think it's important. But if it's more of academic interest, I think it should be left aside. Um, in terms of how do you do pathology and radiological investigations during this time, it's a little bit difficult. A lot of pathology providers, and I know ACL, their, um, their employees are not allowed to take blood from people who are suspected or proven coronavirus patients. So if you want to do pathology, you largely have to draw the blood either like the GP or a nurse would have to draw the blood Radiology, we can do x-rays at our acute respiratory assessment clinic, which is in the old Geelong private building, which we now refer to as building B. Um, we can do radiology there and we do it on patients wearing a mask, even when they're suspected coronavirus, which is fine. Um, and the radiographer wears a mask as well. That's going to be obviously more challenging in the community because most of the radiology providers will probably not be happy to see someone so you'd usually have to wait for a swab result first but we can do that at our acute respiratory assessment clinic um, I'm happy to answer any other questions but I think that those were the main ones that I saw um, I can see here there's another question about difficulty in accessing supplies of flu vaccine for over 65 I guess that's a PHN question there was a question, Deb, um, that if a healthcare worker um, does a swab on a patient and the patient tests positive, does the healthcare worker now have to isolate? Thank you, and that's a really important point. I just want to highlight if you're wearing PPE when you're with a patient, 
then you are not considered a close contact. So this, this question does come up all the time. If you're wearing even a surgical mask and you performed hand hygiene, then you're not considered a close contact. You should still self-monitor for any symptoms over the next two weeks, but you're not considered a close contact. Thanks for listening and please join us again next Thursday, 23rd of April at 7.30am. You can register through the Westwick PHN website. Simply Google Westwick PHN Project Echo and look for COVID-19 series. And please remember to pre-submit questions. You can do this through the registration site or um, through the emails in the link if you've participated in the session prior. Next week, we're going to talk about emerging models of care, telehealth and face-to-face consults in week six of the WHO COVID-19 pandemic. How are we all responding? How can we learn from one another? And what are we thinking our models of care will look like in the coming weeks? Join us then. Thanks.